This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, as we get started this morning, I just want to reiterate that uh, this series is really based on a book by John Ortberg, uh, one of my favorite authors. And I would encourage you, if you're a reader, to uh, find the book, All the Places to Go. Uh, It's a, a great little read. And uh, yes, it is kind of based on Dr. Seuss, so we'll have some fun. But I want to make sure I give John credit. Uh, He's a brilliant pastor and a writer, and uh, he and I were both touched by Dallas Willard in our lives, and uh, I just very appreciate, very much appreciate uh, some of the information he's helped us gather today. So to begin with this morning, I just want to kind of lay an overview for what we're going to talk about the next few weeks. And so this first message is entitled, The Open Door. Um... Some years back, there is the, boy, I'm sounding worse by the minute. I am so sorry. There's a story told that Ernest Hemingway was sitting around a table with a few other contemporary writers, and they came up with a wager. The wager was this. Write an entire novel using only six words. And uh, so the wager went out, and... uh, Ernest Hemingway wrote on a piece of paper these words. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. And all the guys tossed their money to Ernest Hemingway and said, okay, you win. And later he went on to write a small uh, collection uh, with that as a title. Since then... This thing called flash, flash fiction, thanks. I don't know if that'll help, but it certainly will make you feel better that I'm doing something. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. It just sounds terrible. <clears throat> so uh, this idea of flash fiction kind of grew out of that story. Whether it's true or not, we don't know. But the idea of putting a, a six-word limit on something. It really focuses our attention. And so back in 2008, uh, Smith Magazine, which is a a little red literary magazine, uh, put out a contest. They said, write a summary for your life in six words or less. And they got some really interesting responses. I wanted to read just a few. One said this, one tooth, one cavity, Life's cruel. (laughs) Another one said this. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. Another one wrote, cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. And what's interesting is that was not written by a dear grandmother, but by a nine-year-old. Another one wrote this. The psychic psychic said I would be richer. (laughs) Another one wrote, not a good Christian, but trying. Hmm. Another one said, thought I would have more impact. It's funny how trying to get things really focused sometimes rivets our attention and gets things down to what really matter. It makes you kind of wonder 
what would a six-word summary be if they had been written by Bible characters? And this is where I appreciate John Ortberg. He, he has done this work, and he is such a gifted writer. And I want to read you some of his thoughts about what some of the Bible characters might write as a six-word flash fiction summary of their life. How about Abraham? Left Ur, had baby, still laughing. Or Jonah, no, storm, overboard, whale, regurgitated, yes. He says this for Moses, burning bush, stone tablets, Charlton Heston. How about this for Adam? Eyes opened, but can't find home. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is great. King was hot. <laughs> Furnace was not. <laughs> Noah hated the rain, loved the rainbow. Esau. At least the stew was good. <laughs> Esther, if you know the story of Esther, this is so fun. Eye candy. Mordecai, handy. Israel, dandy. Or Mary, the mother of Jesus. Manger, pain, joy. Cross, pain. Joy. The prodigal son. Bad. Sad. Dad glad. Brother mad. <laughs> the rich young ruler. <clears throat> Jesus called. Left sad. Still rich. Or Zacchaeus, climbed sycamore tree, short, poorer, happier. Or the woman caught in adultery, picked up man, put down stones. You see, sometimes when we try to boil it down, we kind of get some insights. I, I guess if, if we were going to uh, try to find a single six-word story that would apply to all of those Bible characters, it would probably be something like, not quite what I expected. The truth is, all of those stories and the rest that we're going to look at in the series have this in common, that they were, they were cruising along in their life when they were interrupted they were interrupted when God intersected with what their plans were and their response to what he presented made all the difference in the world. Now, sometimes when God shows up in a person's life, it's really obvious. 
right? Like a burning bush or handwriting on the wall, talking donkey. See, you thought Shrek was so creative, but it's actually a Bible story. <clears throat> and sometimes it is when God shows up. It's, it can be unmistakable. But more often, and mostly in our lives, when God shows up ready to intersect and perhaps redirect, it can kind of start off quiet. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. I think this probably applies to us when it comes to how God speaks and opens doors of opportunity in our lives. Most of us won't have a voice booming through the night or a burning bush. When Jesus was addressing a church, a church in Turkey, Asia Minor, when he was speaking to that body of believers, he wrote this in Revelation 3, starting in verse 7. He says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. What Jesus says to this church is, I have placed before you an open door. Now, a door is probably one of the richest images in all of literature. It can have so many meanings. Um, It can mean safety, like running in and locking the door, and you're safe. At the same time, it can mean rejection. She slammed the door in my face. Right? It can mean hiddenness. I wonder what's going on behind that closed door. But in this context, that door refers to opportunity, divine opportunities. In fact, he says that these aren't just haphazardly open doors. Oh, look, you stumbled upon an open door. He says, in the original language, that they are opened doors, that he opened them purposefully, intentionally for them. These are opened doors. These are divine opportunities, he says. Not just any door, not just any opportunity. When we talk in this series about open doors, we're not talking about random occurrences, but divine, divinely opened opportunities. They're chances to do something worthwhile. And I think we all must admit that everything we do on a given day isn't equally worthwhile. Spent the last week thinking to myself, I have done nothing worthwhile except sit on the couch. Open doors are opportunities to do something worthwhile. It's a chance to be useful to the God of the universe. After all, he's the one who's opened the opportunity. He has a purpose behind it. What's interesting is that when he opens opportunities, they can be open to anyone. Even in Revelation 3, he says to that church, now I know your strength is small. Wouldn't it be uh, more efficient to make these opportunities appear to those who are strong? What he says is, your strength doesn't matter. 
Your strength is small, but I've opened this door. They can open to anyone. And they can open in almost any circumstance. Some of you are thinking, well, you don't understand. See, my life is just a mess. It's closed in. It's all, I've ruined everything. Or, or this track that I'm on, nothing ever changes. Nothing ever goes right. And I think Jesus would stop and say, I can open a door in any circumstance. The story is uh, told about Viktor Frankl being held in, by Nazis and being locked away. And, and in his writing, he, he mentioned that although he is locked, supposedly imprisoned, he noticed that it was his guards who are the ones that were imprisoned by anger and hatred and evil. And though he sat in the room, his spirit couldn't be stopped. He would remind us that any place that you are that doesn't have doors, that's a prison. God can open doors of opportunity to anyone in any circumstance. You know the story of Joseph. How many times did something happen and you think, whoa, what just happened? This is a terrible occurrence. And then in time we see that God actually used that as an open door to put him exactly where God wanted to use him. We, we laughed at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wouldn't it be easy for us to view a circumstance like that where suddenly our lives are being threatened? Wouldn't you and I tend to see it as a, a door slamming shut? And yet for them, it was a door left wide open. Here we are still talking about them today. You see, doors can open for anyone, regardless of your strength or your ability. And they can open in any circumstance, even the one that you're living in right now. Now, you know, um, <clears throat> anyone who, who is a, a, a student of the scriptures, if, if, you, if you follow what the Bible says about life, then we understand that God is involved. He's aware. He inserts himself. We are not the captains of our destiny. Nor are we pawns in this game of life. We're neither the captains nor pawns. No, instead, for those who are willing, God wants to become a partner. He wants to enter into a partnership with us as we make decisions and live our lives. Now, um, researchers tell us that on average, a person will make about 70 decisions a day. 70 decisions a day. Hmm. So that comes out to about... 25,500 a year. 1.7 million decisions in a lifetime. The poet tells us that our lives are the sum of our decisions. You know, in some ways, I think God would agree. The brilliant philosopher, Dr. Seuss, also agreed. He writes this. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. 
all the places you'll go, except when you don't. Because sometimes, of course, you won't. Brilliant, huh? So simple and so brilliant. You know, if we believe that God really is the God that we worship, that he really is in control of history, and that would include, it would include your life today, this past week, next week, if he really is in charge, if he really is in control, then the real question for those of us who want to be his followers, who want to open up ourselves to the doors that God opens, the question for us is how should we respond to open doors? Ben already mentioned the fact that through this series, one of the things we're going to highlight is the fact that you cannot respond to an open door unless it's a response of faith. You see, don't let our materialistic world convince you that only religious people have faith. They are all living by faith. I mean, how many thousands get on SEPTA every day? Right? Get on the Schuylkill Expressway? I mean, come on. You see, we all live by faith. The question is, what is it that we are placing our faith in? Now, what's important for us to know is that faith is a skill that can be learned and improved. And learning to recognize open doors is a skill that can be learned and improved, kind of like entrepreneurs. There are some people who just seem to be wired at recognizing opportunities. I'm always uh, fascinated by a guy like Warren Buffett, because every time things tank for most of us, he's elated. He says, what a great opportunity. You see, we can all learn to recognize opportunities when they open. That's kind of the story, though, of, of the nation of Israel. You know, sometimes you don't have to go to a new place to experience an open door. Sometimes an open door, it's the same place, but you're looking at it with a different perspective. And that's Israel's story. I mean, the nation of Israel, like any other nation on earth, had hopes for national greatness. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to be influential. They wanted to be secure and prosperous. But those plans of theirs didn't come to fruition. Instead, God had for them a plan for spiritual greatness. And unlike the nations around them, unlike Rome, Greece, Babylon, the gift that God gave through the nation of Israel remains to this day and influences every man, woman, and child on the globe. See, the opportunity God opened for them was far greater than they knew. But let's look at that for just a minute. So if you have a Bible, turn it to Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> This, of course, is the beginning of the nation of Israel when God spoke to Abram. The guys, if you were in the men's Thrive class, we looked at Abram today. And uh, the, the, the teacher pointed out that 
Abram was pretty much living a, a kind of a, a golden life. He, he was fairly affluent. He was living in a city called Ur. Ur um, would be like a Las Vegas or a, or a Miami or a, I mean, it, it, was, it was a nice place to live. But God appeared to him and opened a door. We read this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. Now he's going to direct Abram to the land of Canaan. But let me just suggest that nobody who could afford to live in Ur wanted to move to Canaan. Okay, that was not upwardly mobile. That would be the opposite. You're moving from sophisticated and comfortable to wild and and uncivilized and unsophisticated. And and so that hints at one of the lessons we're going to learn through this series, and that is this, that an open door doesn't always picture an immediate good. An open door doesn't always picture an immediate good, but it does often involve a good that we don't fully understand yet. We'll read on. He says, I, God, will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. Here's another principle that we're going to see as we go through this series. Open doors are never provided for just the benefit of those who walk through them. Doors are open. God provides open doors so that others are blessed through our stepping through as well. It might be thrilling for some of us seeing an open door and stepping through it. It's thrilling and exciting. It's just important to remember that even though we're enjoying it, and I'm not saying that we enjoy every one of them, but even though we're enjoying it, it's important for us to remember this isn't just for my benefit. God opens doors to us so that we can be a blessing We can be blessed and then be a blessing to others. So if if God spoke to Dr. Seuss, and Dr. Seuss was one of the writers of Scripture, (laughs) maybe God's call would sound like this. Abram and Sarah, today is the day. So get your dad Tara and get on your way. You will wander like nomads, and I even think maybe you might have a nonagenarian baby. You'll be marked by your faith. You'll be marked by a vision. You'll be marked, well, you might not love this, by circumcision. Like stars in the sky, your descendants will be. Though you tell lies indiscriminately, you will get lost and confused, and be badly afraid. You will wait till it's too late, and mistakes will be made. You won't know what to say. You won't know what to do, but all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. With your muddled-up faith, you'll do more than you know. And I promise you this, oh, the places you'll go. 
Isn't that exactly what Abraham experienced? You see, an open door, we've got to be so careful here, you know, this is the kind of stuff the churches talk about. Oh, opportunities, decision-making. Let's make this clear. An open door doesn't necessarily offer a complete view of the future. It definitely means opportunity, mystery, possibility. What it doesn't mean is guarantee. God doesn't say, like to the church in Revelation, see, I set before you a hammock. He doesn't say, I set before you a set of explicit, explicit, specific instructions that you should follow, and then I will tell you exactly what will be the outcome. An open door doesn't mean everything will be smooth. It doesn't even mean everything will be pleasant. It doesn't mean I give you a blueprint. How many people who claim to want to follow Jesus really would like a little mantra that they could say each day so that they get what they want throughout the day. That is not prayer. That is not faith. Now, here's one of the most frustrating things about this journey of faith and this process of seeing and then stepping through an open door. The frustrating thing is God has this habit of giving out information on a need-to-know basis. And he doesn't think we need to know. Now, maybe if he told us more, it would take some of the adventure and excitement out of it. For those of you that like adventure, that would be a problem. Some of you are saying, I could live with that. Perhaps he doesn't tell us more because he knows if we knew what was coming, we would not go. But there is one important thing to remember, and this will apply through the whole series. Remember that God said that he wanted to be Abraham's friend. And friendship is built on trust. The writer of Hebrews says the exact same thing, doesn't he, about faith? When he says, now faith is a confidence in things that we hope for. It's assurance about things that we do not see. (laughs) Can you imagine what it was like to be on the other side of that poetic uh, invitation from God? I think uh, Seuss imagines Abraham responding something like this. By the way, I was going to do this in a good Jewish accent, but today I just can't. So, <clears throat> Where are the places? No, I won't do it. <clears throat> Where are these places you want me to go? When will I get there? How will I know? Will I need a design? Will I need a degree? Will I need other things that you're hiding from me? Where is the map of your plan for my life? I must know all this stuff. I must talk to my wife. I'm old. I'm not bold. And you are leaving things out. There are bales of details you must tell me about. Can't you relate? 
Sure. But God wanted to be Abraham's friend. God wanted to prompt him to trust him. That was the purpose for the nature of this interaction. Have you recently found yourself getting just a little frustrated with God because he's just a a tiny bit vague? Just a little little clarity, please, God. A, A little specific here. And yet, here we are in the same position as Abraham with the same God who does not change. And he says, I don't think you understand, Mike. What I am trying to do is not what you think I'm trying to do. You see, it is faith that enables us to step through an open door even though we don't know what's on the other side. It is faith that it lets us trust in the future because we know God is already there. The most stunning thing about the story of Abraham, maybe, is that he went. But he did. Knowing nothing more, he went. It says in verse 4, So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that they had accumulated, and all the people that they had acquired, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So here's one of those principles that we're going to learn in the next few weeks. The only way to learn what is on the other side of a door that God has opened is to step through it. It's interesting to me that when Jesus was writing to the church in Philadelphia, he says, see, I've set before you an open door. You notice he doesn't say what the door is. He doesn't even say which door it is. It's rare that you and I are faced with the choice between something horrible and something wonderful. Those choices are hardly choices at all. Instead, we are faced with choices between things that all of which could be good or horrible, depending on your temperament. (laughs) Which one? And this is another lesson that we're going to look at in one part of the series. And that is, what is it that God is trying to get to in this whole process. You see, how will I know which choice is the right one? How many times have you been paralyzed asking God, I need to know. I don't want to make a mistake. I have to chuckle every time I catch myself saying that. God, I don't want to make a mistake. I hear him laughing. (coughs) Mike, that's all you do is make mistakes. Since when has a mistake on your part been a problem for me? And then I realized, there it is again, my nature to take me too seriously and God not seriously enough. (laughs) Sometimes I'll say, you don't understand, God. This is important. (laughs) Really? Mike must inform Jehovah God what is important. So what if I go through the wrong door? How will I even decide 
in James 1, and again, this, this will come up in this series, we read this. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. I underline that part for me. It's perfectly okay if someone else asks God for wisdom. But somehow I tend to think that I'm supposed to know ahead of time. And somehow if, if I don't know what to do, shame on me. Even if I don't know what to do, I'll never let you know that. Isn't it interesting that James says he gives generously to all and he does it without finding fault? I have a newsflash for us. He does not expect you to see into the future. He gives to all generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So one of the things we're going to learn in the next few weeks is that in this whole decision-making process, choosing, identifying and choosing and stepping through doors, God is less concerned with you actually choosing the right door and more concerned with us having the right heart. We're going to see that you can step through the wrong door and God can actually use it to make us more like him. He is so much less concerned about all of the achievements that we accrue. He's much more concerned with the people we become. People of peace. People of faith. People of generosity. Not know-it-alls. You see, realizing that God is less concerned about choosing the right door, it frees us up from that worry of making the wrong decision. Some of us are paralyzed by making a mistake or the possibility. Some of you know my story. My younger sister was riding a two-wheel bike a full year before I did. She's not more coordinated. She's less. Sorry, Trace. Um, But she was riding before me. You know why? Because I didn't want anybody to see me fall. And I remember sitting on my bike against, kind of with a hand against the wall, kind of sitting there really cool, kind of rocking my bike back and forth. I just couldn't leave the wall. (laughs) And as silly as that sounds, do you know I catch myself sitting there next to that wall still today? Afraid to move because I'm afraid I'll make a mistake. But what we're going to learn is the way God works in our lives, mistakes aren't terminal. He can use them to grow us. Faith in God provides the only real foundation for an open door frame of mind. So we're going to talk a little bit as the series goes on about closed door thinking. There's a certain mindset that's very closed door. And we have to identify that and begin to abandon it, to be intentional about avoiding it. It's a way of looking at God and our lives and ourselves that limits 
possibilities, limits choices. Now, here's the thing about this closed door mentality. A lot of the times it's presented like it's common sense or prudence. Well, I don't know, just wanna be careful. And it sounds wise. But actually what it is hiding is a refusal to trust God because we're afraid. Now, this isn't a license to be foolish. Since when have any of us needed a license to be foolish? Not me. <laughs> no, yeah. Bring it. Yay, God. But what this means is when he opens an opportunity, and we think, I think he's opening an opportunity, and we hear the voice, but wait, what if? Don't you think? We can turn and say, what I'm hearing is not wisdom. What I'm hearing is fear. And when I preach that to you, I'm preaching it to me. See, closed-door thinking looks safe, sounds safe, can feel safe, but it is actually perhaps the most dangerous way of thinking of all. Do you know why? Because it leaves God on the other side of the door. Is that really what you intend? Of course not. So as we move forward, just to lay a few foundations, I want to encourage you to start exploring what it might be like to become more of an open-door person. Adopt an open-door policy. Watching for open doors and being ready to at least consider stepping through. Being an open-door person means that we are ready to embrace challenge. Do you see why faith becomes such an important part? Because without faith, embracing challenge would almost be arrogant. But we can embrace this because God is there and he empowers. You don't really know what you can actually do until you actually do it. We say he transforms lives. When was the last time you saw yourself transformed? Perhaps it's because you're sitting in a little room that feels safe. And I just want to point out that if your little room has no doors, it's not a room, it's a prison. If you wait until you are ready, you will wait until you die. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus sent out the 11, by the way, you do realize that, right? He didn't send out 12. 12 was this number of kind of perfection. It's pretty interesting that when the church launched, <laughs> when he sent out his disciples to reach the world, it was a broken number. He sent out the 11. He didn't say, go into all the world and preach the gospel because you guys are ready. Some of, you, some of you are ministering here at Crossroads, and you know what this is like. I'm not ready. I am not ready. <laughs> some of you are in here today because you were in children's ministry last week. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I'm still not ready. He doesn't send this because we're ready. He says, go, and I will go with you. Secondly, 
Being people of an open door means we are increasingly unhindered by uncertainty. The bottom line is, ambiguity and uncertainty, it's just a part of the way that God deals with us. I could get all philosophical about why I think that might be the case. But it doesn't matter. He never gives us everything that we want to know. That's the way it is to follow him. Can't you hear the talk between disciples? Never mind. He'll tell us later. Just go. I've done this before. This is how he rolls. You see, as we go forward without having all the answers, we learn in real time what it means to be a friend of God and to trust him. There's always several parts to this whole following God. We see it in the life of Abraham. There's a going from, and then there is a going to. You don't get the to until you do the from. We always end up by leaving this, and we feel like we have nothing because we're not here yet. So he wants us to leave this, and when we feel we have nothing, he says, you have me. Open doors are almost never primarily about achieving wealth or status. Where he's directing you is probably not going to be upwardly mobile like you would like. But it will meet a much deeper need in your life. And that need is to not be blessed, but to be blessed so that you can bless. In our culture, we would all rather be nice people once we're rich. (laughs) Not instead of. And yet, even like the story of Scrooge, right? The difference between what it means to be rich versus being blessed. That's the journey that God is inviting you and I on. Jesus says, I want you to understand what it means to actually walk with me and work alongside me and get a sense of what I do. And so, becoming a person of open doors means increasingly uncertainty does not scare us. Now, I don't mean to say it never bothers us. But it doesn't paralyze us. Lastly, we're going to learn that it means remembering that we're blessed so that we can bless. To know and experience God means to do what he does, to be involved in his work. You know, in the story of Abraham, not, not far after the, what we just read, if you know the story at all, Abraham takes his nephew Lot and they go into the promised land and they're looking at the land and he turns to Lot and he goes, What land do you want? And what did Lot pick? The best. Now, was Abraham gullible? Now, you see, that was just one more open door for Abraham. God didn't tell him what to do. Do you realize that? 
Abraham did that on his own. Something about learning that we are blessed to be a blessing generates within us a generosity, a willingness to make sure someone else gets the best. And yes, of course, we see God's response. He loves to bless generosity. And so later God says, okay, I saw what you did, and I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to bless the land that you did pick and the the animals that you did pick. I'm going to bless them. And and we all know the story that God blessed that. But once again, you can't have that blessing before the generosity. (coughs) Open doors. So what are the doors that God is opening that he might be opening in your life right now? Some of you may actually have a sense. Others, maybe not. But I want to suggest this. This moment is actually bursting with potential. If not in a minute, in an hour or a day, God could present a door of opportunity for you, and it could set the course of the rest of your days. Do you realize that it could happen at any moment Every day, every time we're awake. And that's one of the characteristics that happens as we become people of open doors. Before the door is presented, we have this sense of, well, I'm ready. I'm ready. In fact, that's a challenge that I want to give to you for this week. I want to challenge you to apply what we're talking about in the next coming weeks this week. Pick one day this week. Doesn't matter what day it is. But pick the day and, and, and declare for yourself that it is going to be your open day. And that day when you wake up, talk to God first thing. Okay, God, today's the open day. I am open. I am aware. I'm watching for you to open opportunities, big or small. But I'm aware. Today's the day. I have no plan. I'm going to do my normal routine. Got to get up. Got to get the kids going. Got to go to work. I got to do my thing. I gotta, I'm going to do my normal thing. But whatever you throw my way, I'm watching. And if you open a door, I'm going to try to step through. That's all. Just spend the day watching for an open door of opportunity. It might be something huge. It might be something small. Hey, you want to sit and watch this? Hey, could you pray with me? Hey, how would... But watch. And then at the end of that day, make a note. Where did I see God open a door? What opportunities did I get to step through today? And now, between now and next week, I hope you'll share how that day went with someone. Next Sunday, we'll probably actually pause and say, if you haven't done it yet, share. And if you'd like to study a little bit more, there's some passages there in your notes. Other stories that we can look at and begin to ask ourselves, 
Where are the open doors in these stories? Who saw them and who did not? You know, closed door thinking is David's brother saying, Goliath can't be beat. It's those spies who say, those giants are too big. It's the disciples saying, we only have a couple loaves of bread. Or the waves are too big. It's me. Every time I choose to hoard over generosity. It's any of us when we choose to please a person rather than please God. Open door thinking acknowledges that my God, he's at work in every little detail of life. And at any moment, he can open an opportunity and I get to choose to step through because he lets me partner with him. What kind of a person do you want to be? A person of closed doors or a person of open doors? Let's pray. Now, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, today's the time. What would stop you from believing that Jesus died for you? He offers eternal life as a gift. It's accepted by faith. And you don't have to understand all of that either. You just have to know that, yep, I'm a sinner. And yet God loved me enough to die for me. I'll accept your gift. Thank you for dying for me. But as believers, when we choose, when God tells us to go and we choose to stay, we're statheists. We're acting like we don't believe. How do we expect the rest of the world to want to follow Jesus if we ourselves don't trust him enough to follow him? We don't think enough of him to live the way he's instructed us to live. God, hear our prayer. Spirit of God, fill our hearts and change us. Lord Jesus, may we hear your call. Remind us that following you means trusting you. And so we commit ourselves to follow you. When you open a door for us, help us to step through so that we could enjoy the adventure that you intend for us to have with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.